Well, good morning. Well, we continue the series on Proverbs this morning, and you may have been a little bit uh, thinking about that, like, did we finish Proverbs? That was a passage out of Psalms. But uh, we are going to continue in Proverbs, and this morning we're going to pick up where we've been leaving off in that whole uh, going through the different themes of Proverbs, and today we're talking about proverbial pain, and proverbial pain and suffering and death, and so when Darren said, hey Jeff, would you, uh, would you cover the proverbial pain, I thought, well, let me show you some pain, Darren, um, let me punch you for giving me the tough one, you know, it's that type of thing where you look at it and say, these aren't the topics that we normally go, well, let's go to church this morning and talk about suffering, that'll be fun. It's that type of passage where, or passages where we look at it and we're glad they're there because it does shed some just tremendous light on what happens in real life. And so we need to look at these things. We need to understand how God sees them, how they play out in our life and how we interact with that. But it's a little bit like a, a really long hallway where there's a lot we could talk about when talking about pain, suffering and death. And there's all kinds of issues associated with, with the different ideas and concepts. And so it, this morning, it's a little bit like running down this long hallway and doors on each side. And we're going to knock on all the doors and not wait to see who comes out of them or go in them and explore them. We're just going to try to do a broad brushstroke down the middle to ultimately just deal with the main questions of suffering and death as Proverbs looks at it in pain. The ability to move forward, though, one of the reasons, uh, we're going to look at that Psalms passage in, in a few moments, but I wanted it to come out right off the front because some of you are in it right now. Some of you are currently in tremendous suffering. You're going through pain, and that may be emotional, that may be physical. I don't know what it is, but before we start just talking about general concepts, I think it's important that once again, we hand out this psalm that is a, a bit about it right off the front. And you need to know that in wisdom literature that Proverbs is a part of, you have Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Those first four are heavily saturated in pain and suffering. They talk about it all the time. It's not something they try to avoid or, or just simply brush over, but rather they look at it and say, this is imperative that part of life will come pain, will come suffering. So in this passage, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 34, and we're going to spend most of the time in, in Proverbs, but we wanted to touch this one right off the bat. Verse 15 of, of Psalms 34 the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That for those of you who are in it right now, there's some really important concepts that his eyes are on you, that his ears are listening to your cry, that he is near to the brokenhearted, that this is imperative, that we know this right off the bat, that this is important to God, that he's there. We're going to come back and look at that passage a little bit more in just a bit. But this overall concept of suffering is one, pain and suffering, is one that I don't really have to stop and use a ton of illustrations. And I have them. I have them from my own life. I have them from friends in my life. I have them from, from work that I've done professionally, where I've been very close to people in tremendous suffering and tremendous pain. 
And I'm not going to parade all of those out here so that you can feel what it is because likely you've had it in your life. You already know. So because of that, I don't need to define it. However, I did Google it. Definition, pain. And the the one I liked best was uh, out of the Urban Dictionary, and it simply said that feeling you get when you step on one of the tiny Lego bricks. That that is the definition of pain. You know, hardwood floor at night in the dark, bam, ah, come on. I literally stubbed my toe last night and I said, no, Lord, I don't need any more illustrations for this talk, you know. But pain comes as part of life. Now, what we want to do is we want to stop and begin to categorize it in our minds like, well, which pain and, and how does it play out? Because there's a lot of different pain that we experience in life and it comes from different places. So right off the bat, we're going to do three of the main causes of pain. And I mean, it's going to be fairly simple. So it's just simply self-inflicted, others inflicted, or that God brings pain into our life or allows pain into our life. And as we look at those three, we can do all kinds of categorizations one way or the other, and we could have debates and discussions about, was this pain me or someone else, or is this God allowing it? But these all play out, and if you've got your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 19, and in Proverbs 19, there's a, there's a little list of three verses that just simply lay this out, and it shows up all over in Proverbs. I could just walk us through a ton of verses that do this. But in Proverbs 19, in verse 3, it says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. But that first part, when a man's folly, so that's my choice is what I do. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. But my doing can sometimes bring my life to ruin. And I've done that before. I've made choices that have brought pain into my life. I know I'm probably the only one, but is there anyone else here who's done something that's brought pain into your life? Three. Three of you. Good. Well, maybe we'll grab lunch afterwards and talk about the rest of these people who are just liars. <laughs> the reality is, is we do this all the time. That, that our folly, the things we do, causes pain. And not only to us, but to others as well. That the cause of pain sometimes is self-inflicted. It's things we do. Now, we're going to do this with all of these, but the concept is, what do we do about that? And the idea is to move away, is that the things that I'm doing that are causing pain, I should stop doing. In fact, I love the the firefighting um, phrase that simply says, stop, drop, and roll. And this is the best thing to do if you're in pain that's self-inflicted, it's to stop. Stop whatever that is that you're doing, drop it, and roll (laughs) The roll part's kind of weird, right? But it's repentance. It's roll away. It's turn away. Get away from that. But some of you are in pain right now in your life, and you look at it, and you know it's your own choices that are bringing the difficulties into your life, and the best thing you can do is to move away. The next one, verse. so we're right there in uh, verse 3, verse 4. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Now, in this one, it's buried in that idea, but that sometimes... A friend deserts us. Sometimes someone that's, that's a loved one betrays us. Sometimes someone else we don't even know steps into our life and brings pain. And that destroys us as well. The pain is not any less real because it was from somebody else or from us. It still brings pain. 
So pain is both self-inflicted, but others bring it in. And we can even blame Adam and Eve for this. We can go all the way back to the garden and see that because Adam's sin, sin was brought into the world and has been passed on from one man to the other. So that we live in a world controlled by sin, and that sin plays into our life on a regular basis. Any of you qualify in that category? Yeah, we have been hurt by others' sin, by others' choices. And that plays into our life. And then finally in verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. That God himself says, I will discipline. I will provide reproof for correction because discipline for the moment seems unpleasant, but over time it brings a better thing. And so God steps in even on discipline and reproves us. But he also does it in other ways, in refinement. And we can look at those passages. In fact, um, you can turn there really quick. The the 25.4, Proverbs 25.4, is that whole story about the crucible. But it shows up here in Proverbs 25.4, take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Well, God does this with us. That whole thing that you've got a crucible and he throws that raw material in there, but then he heats it up. And by that, the impurities come to the top. We skim them off. The the master skims them off. And then he has material to make a vessel for his good. Some of us are in the crucible right now going through tremendous pain as God's turning the heat up and he's shaping us. He's refining us. He's making us more like him. But sometimes that's not fun. Sometimes that's painful. And sometimes that hurts. So when we look at these, these concepts, we can go all throughout Proverbs, and there's many, many more passages like this to where it's there. But when we get to this idea that God might somehow bring pain or allow pain in our life, then we're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought all things were good, that if I became a Christian, my life would get all better. And now it's starting to turn a different way. And we start to have to deal a little bit with this sovereignty of God question about is God involved and how does that play out and what happens when God is involved in my pain and do I want God to be involved in my pain? So that's the type of thing that says, if he's refining me, how long will this go on? How long do I have to endure this? How long must this happen? Um, the whole concept of Christianity is, is sometimes confused that way that we sometimes take any type of pain or suffering and assign it to God and think that God is then bringing that on me. I do this all the time. My wife will verify that, that if, uh, if I'm you know, late somewhere, which by the way is probably self-inflicted, but it could have been somebody else that made me late. It could be somebody else's cause. But now if a light turns red, I'm like, come on, God, I need this now. Look, or I go into a grocery store and I'm in a hurry and I want to buy my one item and I'm looking for the shortest line and I get in the shortest line, but the person right in front of me says, oh, wait, I forgot. I got to grab something else. And they go running out and I have to just stand there and wait. And I'm thinking, why does God do this to me? Why does he always have this happen to me? I always pick the long line. That's not pain, is it? The reality is we make these little assumptions where we sign things off to God and we think that because something painful in our life is happening that God did it. God may have allowed it, but he may not be behind all of it 
as much as it is that pain is part of that. But this question that God can control it starts to get a little messy. Let's go back to Psalms 34. As we look at this passage in Psalms 34, we start to see this, this play out in the sovereignty, sover, sovereignty of God. Once again, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crust in spirit. And here's the verse that starts to give us some problems. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. So there's another verse just before that, that when we talk about being Christians, we think life's going to get better. If you look at verse 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want that one. I don't want many afflictions. Maybe I'll be unrighteous. Uh, They have many afflictions too. There's not any less afflictions for being unrighteous. In fact, your sin will likely create many, many more. But in this point, it starts to say that even if you're righteous, you're still going to have afflictions. You're still going to have... How many of you are godly saints and have pain in your life? It's a tough one to raise your hand, right? Because now you identified, well, I'm a saint. But there are times when we're doing it right and it still seems pain comes into our life. But here's the challenge. In this verse, in verse 20, it says he keeps all his bones and none of them are broken. What is that? That God would keep all his bones, that none of them would be broken. Most theologians believe this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ as being the perfect sacrifice that when he was hung on the cross, crucified, and wrote that whole process of being crucified to cover our sins, in order for that sacrifice to work, he had to be the perfect sacrifice. Well, the old lamb sacrifice was that you had to have a pure, unblemished, unblemished lamb that had no broken bones. So the concept was that Jesus in the crucifixion couldn't have his bones broken and that this is a prophecy of Jesus and saying, I will keep all of your bones, not one of them will be broken. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a small consolation prize when you crucify me instead. That what happens to Jesus is that his bones aren't broken, but he's crucified. It's like, come on. That's the most painful death you can endure. And in that process, I'm going to send you through that, but I'm not going to break your bones. Is this sarcasm? What is that? Until you begin to understand this idea that he has to be the perfect sacrifice. And what God is literally doing is he's saying, my sovereignty is illustrated in this very moment that Jesus, as he's hung on the cross, the hands and nails pierced, or the hands and feet pierced with nails where you have the most bones concentrated in the human body in the hands and in the feet. And there we drive a huge nail into both those places. And the final thing to make sure they die is to break the bones of the legs so they can no longer push themselves up to breathe. There will be broken bones if you're crucified unless God is involved in, he says, in the middle of the most brutal death that you can imagine, I can make sure that none of your bones will be broken. I will keep all of your bones. That suddenly we see God saying, in the middle of your pain, I am there and have full control and can protect as needed. Now, this should be a little bit unsettling. Because one, we get the sovereignty of God and his power in the middle of our pain. 
But two, we realize that God allows pain in our life. And that becomes a thing that doesn't sit well with us. But in all of these, we talked about that if it's your pain, that you shouldn't move away from it. Stop, drop, and roll. It's that kind of thing if it's self-inflicted. But if it's somebody else's pain, we should move away from that as well and move towards God. And in this point, once again, if God is bringing that pain into our life, whether that's through reproof or refinement from the crucible fire, it could be reproach. It could be the whole idea of just simply making us better. But there's some that are even restricted pains, that it's a mystery. We don't know why it's happening, but God has brought it into our life. In all cases, it's the point that we would move towards God. There's one more part in this Psalms that I want you to catch here, though. This, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted in verse 18 and saves the crust in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The picture that I want you to have is that God stops and takes his broken heart and he holds it in his hand and he holds it together so that it is not completely destroyed. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. But what do we know about God in theology is that he's also omnipresent. God's always there. So did he show up when your heart was broken? Or was he there before your heart was broken? Not only was he there before your heart was broken, he was there as your heart was breaking. He was close. He was near. He will be there as it's broken. He will be there as it's healed. He will be the instrument that heals it. This presence and proximity of God himself says, I am there. I was there before it started. I was there when it was happening, and I am there now in the middle of this suffering. It's a beautiful picture of proximity, And this idea of Proverbs and pain is about proximity. It's about nearness. It's about God's nearness and it's about ours. And so as we dive into this, this idea that we simply need to understand that God is there. But let's come back to Proverbs for just a second and look at this sovereignty played out in one more way. In Proverbs 21, um, verse 31 It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. That even if the kings are getting their armies ready, ultimately it's God who's going to determine how it turns out. The victory belongs with the Lord, that God is involved in this. He is moving in this. And and you look at it and go, well, the horse is made ready for battle. There's going to be pain and death in battle. Yet God is involved with pain and death once again. So in the 5th century, there was a St. Patrick, and St. Patrick was, there was a king who had risen up to power, and he realized that he probably should have the blessing of the church upon him, so he chose to get baptized so that he would become a Christian in the church. And so as he went to St. Patrick, he said, will you baptize me so that I can become part of the church? And St. Patrick said, sure. And they set up the whole ceremony. And St. Patrick, an older um, priest at this point, is going through the whole ceremony. And at one point, he's getting tired. So he has a cane, a staff, and it's a, it's a sharp staff. But he leans on it so that he can kind of get through the whole ceremony. And as he does so, he inadvertently sets it right on the king's foot. And he leans down on it. And it actually pierces, punctures the king's foot. 
and causes him to start bleeding. But St. Patrick doesn't notice this, and he goes on with the whole service, does the whole thing, baptizes him. But after he's all baptized, he's bringing him out of the water, and he looks down at the king, and he sees that the king has a bloody foot. And he's like, what did you do to your foot? And the king tells him, and now St. Patrick's feeling really bad because I just like <laughs> I just stabbed the king in the foot. This is not good. And he says, why didn't you say anything? And the king stops and says, oh, I just thought it was part of the ritual. And we do this. We think that this ritual of being a Christian means it's going to bring pain. But don't misunderstand this. Pain is part of life for everyone. In fact, for the atheist and the agnostic who sees pain and says, I can't believe in a God. I can't believe that there's a God. That if there's a good God in this world with so much pain and suffering that he would allow this to happen. Therefore, I'm going to step away from the idea that there's a God. The thing about that decision is that it doesn't change the pain and suffering. The pain and suffering is still there. All you've done is eliminated God to be part of the solution for you. You've just simply left yourself with all the pain and suffering alone. But it's rather us moving towards him and realizing that this proximity with God is actually where we find peace. It's where we find restoration. It's where we find reasoning that begins to explain what's happening in this world. The fact that sin, the wages of sin is death. And we can look across. You can just pick up a newspaper and you can see this pain played out. It's part of life. But here's the other thing about proverbial pain. There's a point where when you look at Proverbs, when it talks about pain and suffering... It doesn't spend as much time talking about your suffering. It tells you if you go down this path, there are rewards of good things and you'll be blessed. If you go down this path, there are some curses and some challenges and you're going to experience more pain. It gives that. Wisdom says, come this way, hear my voice and come in or in with me. And we've talked about early on the voice of folly calling the other way. So we know that it talks about that, but when it talks about what do we do about pain and suffering, it actually does a different thing. It doesn't talk about your pain. It actually begins to talk about other people's pain. And Proverbs takes a turn, and Proverbs says, when we talk about pain and suffering, what I want to talk to you about is how you deal with someone else's pain, how you help someone else in that moment and begin to move towards them. So as we look at this, turn to Proverbs 24. And in Proverbs 24, verses 10 to 12, it lays this out pretty clearly. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And you think at first it's your day of adversity, but listen to it. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? That the idea is, is that when you see adversity, when you see someone else who's being taken away to death, stumbling to the slaughter, rescue those, hold those back, move towards those who are in pain and suffering and in affliction. The Proverbs starts saying, when it talks about pain and suffering, it says, what we should be is people who notice other people's pain and suffering. We're going to notice ours. It's pretty clear. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about how God uses pain for us. And I want to read you this quote. It's out of the problem of pain. If you, if you are going through pain right now, it's a, it's a good book to understand it. But this is what he says. We can rest contentedly in our sins and in our stupidities. 
And everyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not even know what they were eating, they will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists on being intended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That that's, God uses pain in that way. So, illustration of how this turn plays out and how it's more about us being sensitive to others. So, I'm going to use, this didn't really happen, but uh, just pretend for a second that it did. That Darren and I were going out for lunch last week. And as we were going out for lunch, um, I, we were getting in the car. And as we were getting in the car, uh, Darren slams the door on my hand. And it just fractures. My hand is in the door frame. And he slams the door. And my fingers are all broken up. And they're bloody. And it's just a mess, Darren. I'm looking at it. And I'm crying out in pain. And Darren jumps up. He runs around. And he opens the door. And he looks at my hand. And then he instantly does this. He looks at his hand and he's like, oh, God, I am so grateful that even though Jeff is in pain, that my hand works and you designed a beautiful thing, God, that a hand is so beautiful. And Lord, thank you for the pain you've brought into Jeff's life so I can be grateful for the fact that I'm not having any. God, this is great. Thank you. This is a wonderful lesson for me today. You see, there's a difference between comparison and compassion. Comparison is where we look at our life and we can revel in that our life is different than everybody else's, but that's not what God calls us to. He actually calls us to compassion, to understand the pain of somebody else's life. And in fact, one of the reasons he allows pain in our life is so that we would know what that feels like. Several years ago, our oldest son and his wife um, had twins. And when the twins were seven and a half months old, um, one of them stopped breathing in the night. And they rushed him to the hospital after doing CPR, paramedics and everything else, rushed him to the hospital. And I got a phone call from my son and the, the phone call just simply said, dad, I don't have time to talk. The paramedics, paramedics are just arriving, but Asher has stopped breathing. Please, please pray. And then the phone went dead. Chills, even as I tell that story now, went through my body and the pain flooded over me and there was nothing I could do to get. They were living in Savannah, Georgia. We were living in California and we could not get to Georgia fast enough. We couldn't, it took too long to get plane tickets. It took too long to fly. It took too long to get there. But as we were sitting on that plane and we were crying and we were in pain and trying to get there to our son and daughter-in-law, we looked around the plane and everybody else was going about their daily business. Everybody else was living life. And at that moment, I felt two things. I knew what it was like to be them. But then it made me realize all the times I'd been in the plane and not noticed the person who was on the way to a tragedy, who was on the, lay, on the way to the loss of a loved one. And I never noticed it. But you know what? Since that day, since that flight, there's not a time that I don't get into an airplane where I don't look around and wonder who on this plane is going into the storm right now. 
And I'm excited because I'm going off on vacation or going to see a family or loved ones, and they're going into a storm. You see, it's not about all the good in our life and how do we avoid it all. It's also that the God brings pain in our life so that we would be more compassionate and understand the pain of others as well, that we would be ministers for him and what is happening in another's life. This shows up a lot in, in Proverbs, and we're not going to look at all of the verses, but if you've got your Bibles, we're going to flip really fast. Proverbs seventeen seventeen simply says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That is, Proverbs is laying it out. It says your life, you're born for adversity. Both is going to be there, but it's that you would be a friend who loves at all times, that you would be there in another's adversity. Proverbs 27.10. In Proverbs 27.10, it says, Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother is far away. And I love that line. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Remember the proximity question when we were talking about God, what he does with pain and suffering? is he moves towards us and he's near. He's there right with us when we're brokenhearted. And here it says, better is a neighbor who is near. That the best thing we can do is move towards those who are suffering. I remember a time when I was going through one of the most painful times in my life. And it was a point where some of the decisions I had made had brought tremendous pain onto my life and onto my family's life. But during that time, a lot of other things were happening that just made things worse. It's the type of thing where your car's breaking down, things are happening. And we literally had one of our nephews who was a high patrolman in uh, Montana. He was heading home at the end of one of his shifts. And as he's driving home, a car from a, a guy who had been drinking crossed over into his lane. They hit head on. And he was killed. And that phone call came in the middle of all this thing. He didn't die right away. He lived for about three days. We prayed and prayed, but in the end he died. And I was just looking at my life and going, all this pain, Lord, is there any way, what are you doing in my life? Because I knew that I was going to be giving this talk on pain and suffering, I went to my journals and I knew exactly when all of that happened in my life. And I went to the journals and I pulled down that journal just to see what perspective I had at that moment when I was deep in pain. And as I flipped it open, there, right there, as the events began to happen, I saw time after time this same thing happen. The first thing was my children, who all lived, some out of state, some out of, out of the out of um, the city, were all away, but they all started coming home. Every one of my adult children came home. And then I had a list of friends who came to visit. And then I had friends who came and they brought me food. I had other friends who came and just hung out with me. I had other friends who invited me over the, to their house to just watch TV so I wouldn't have to sit there and just live in that pain. And I read page after page as others moved towards me in my time of pain and suffering. That this is what proverbial pain, when Proverbs talks about it, it doesn't spend as much time talking about our pain. It says that pain's going to come. But instead, what do we do about it? If we're people learning from Proverbs, what we do is we actually become super sensitive and compassionate about someone else who's hurting. And we look for them. And if you remember that definition of righteousness and wicked, that the righteous is the one who puts himself at disadvantage for the advantage of the community, whereas the wicked puts the community at disadvantage for their own advantage. That righteousness is one who's looking for somebody else's advantage. Proximity mattered. 
matters, and it's really important for us to be the neighbor who is near. In Proverbs 25, 13, there's a, there's a passage that simply says, like the coldest snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his master's. This idea that God knows there's somebody else in pain and selects us to be those who would be his messengers to the one in suffering. That this is us. This idea of cold snow in the time of harvest, theologians always argue about what it means, whether it was just that it was a hot, dry period and then those cold storms come in and provide cooler air, or whether the snow is actually used to be able to cool down their drinks. And they they didn't have ice in those days, and they could put snow into their drinks and it would give them a cold, refreshing drink. Or whether it's the produce that they're harvesting that they could literally keep it longer because they packed it in ice. Nobody knows for sure. What they know is it's a positive thing that you get this cold snow in the time of harvest and it's refreshing, but notice who it's refreshing to. This is what I love. Like the coldest snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. This is a beautiful thing. He refreshes the soul of his masters that if we are faithful messengers to move near to those who are in suffering, we literally refresh the soul of God. You have an ability to bless God for all that he's done for you, but to return that and say, if he sends me to someone else who's going through it right now, I have an ability and a responsibility to move towards them. Last story. Um, When I was growing up as a little kid, I would go to Sunday school, and one of my Sunday school classes was a a Sunday school teacher by the name of Dorothy Vile. Dorothy was an older lady, um, elderly, uh, confined to a wheelchair, where she had been her entire life. As a young girl, she had some complications that put her in the wheelchair. So she had pain and was in this wheelchair her entire life. That meant that because she couldn't move or exercise, she became obese and her body was big. I loved that as a kid, because as a little kid, I could climb into her lap and it was really comfortable. But that was Dorothy Vile. But for her, that was painful. It was painful to be in the condition she was in. It was painful to be stuck in a wheelchair. And it meant that nobody was pursuing her as a man. And, and so she, was, she never had any lovers. She never had any quarters. She was alone her entire life. She had pain in her life. And you can imagine she would cry out to God and say, God, why are you allowing this on me? I am so faithful to you. Why does this come into my life? I love Dorothy Vile because she would tell Bible stories in such a powerful way that it infected in me a love for the Bible. She brought the Bible to life to where I, my faith grew, and I attribute much of my faith to this woman. But she was old then. Years later, I got invited to come back to the church. Dorothy would have been long passed on, and I came back to the church, and I had a chance to talk about how the church had blessed me how people had been a part of my life. And so I told the story of Dorothy Vile and everything that she had done and what she had done in my life and how she had ministered to me and literally shaped me because of how she was in proximity with me. And I told that story and I said, I only wish now in all of her suffering that, she, that I would have said this when she was here because that could have been something when she was in her pain, I could have brought her at least some understanding of what God was doing through her life. One of the women, after I was done, and the congregation came running up to me and said, Jeff, 
Dorothy didn't die. She's still alive. And I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> She's in the kitchen. And the speakers were on through that entire message. And the only reason she's not out here right now is because she's in tears hearing that God has used her once again in someone else's life. The proximity of us to another human being matters. Our sensitivity to people matters. This whole thing of pain and suffering drives us crazy. It hurts. But I want to put it with a closing verse in Romans Chapter 8, even as I say it, some of you are are going, oh yeah, I'm glad he's bringing that out. But Romans 8, we're going to start with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's suffering, by the way. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And I love that, that while we're in this moment, God himself is, Christ himself is interceding for us. He's watching, he sees you, he hears, and he is close who indeed is interceding for us, verse 35, who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all the day long. That's encouraging. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Won't be able to separate us because we're near. Be the neighbors who are near. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your love for us. I am so grateful for this very message of how close you are, that you are near to those who are brokenhearted, you are near to the crust in spirit. Lord, for those who are right now going through the storms, I ask that you would let them feel your nearness, that some way today you would reach out to them and let them feel your love and your grace. And Lord, if it's one of us that are that touch, let us be faithful messengers who are the neighbors who are near. We ask these things in your name, amen.